going to be reading two passages of scripture this morning. If you'll turn to, first of all, Exodus chapter 12 and verses 1 through 3. These will also be on the screen, as well as there are some Bibles there in the pew rack in front of you. If we'll all stand, those who are able at this time, we'll be first reading Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. And once we read that, we will turn to our second passage of scripture in the book of John chapter 1, Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I will read as you follow along. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if you'll turn over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we'll be reading two verses, John chapter 1, verse 29 and verse 36. John chapter 1, verse 29. The Bible says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Then if you look down in verse number 36 of the same chapter, it says, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. The third verse in particular, you notice uh, there on the screen in front of you in verse number 3, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb. According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house and... Then we turn over to John and we hear of John the Baptist who has been and is considered by most to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And he has been preaching for a good while that Jesus is coming, but he hasn't yet. And so there's been cause for discouragement and question. You know it's not unusual because that's similar today. From the time, from as early as I can remember being in church, people were saying Jesus is coming. That's been more than 50 years now, probably, since I heard that. And so some people would have said during the preaching of John, how foolish that seems, the Lamb of God is coming. And then finally the day comes and he says, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I can imagine the utter delight that generated in his soul as he saw him off in the distance and he knew that's him. I've been preaching for three years. People didn't believe me, perhaps. I mean, he came in looking like a crazy guy anyway. He was eating locusts and wild honey. What a buffet. And he said, he's coming. He's here. Noah warned people for 120 years, building a boat. How foolish he seemed. It's going to rain. What's rain? Obviously, they'd never lived in Oregon. Oh, it's going to rain. And... 120 years, I can imagine how discouraging it must have been. It was like there was no remedy, no relief in sight. And one day, it began to rain, and it wasn't just a rain. The Bible says the fountains of the deep were broken up. All of those who waited and delayed then were certainly irretrievably lost. 
And now we find John the Baptist telling us, the Lamb of God has come to take away the sin of the world. We find ourselves in our story in Exodus where our Lord tells us about the need of a lamb for every man. And with His help in the moments we have, that's what we'll preach on this morning. Let's pray. Join me in praying, please, if you would. I ask, Lord, that you'd help us now, guide and direct our words, our thoughts. And, Lord, make it clear to every heart the message that you have for them, unique for each. Would you do that? We'd ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The nation of Israel has been now for 400 years in bondage. In a place called Egypt, Egypt was the most luxurious and extravagant and wealthy places on the planet. They were known for many of their engineering marvels of the day. Some even still celebrated yet today. But they were a place that had placed the Israelites who had been, came there 400 years prior, really as a place of fleeing from a great famine. And we know that story, of course, with Joseph and telling the story to his brethren and how God meant it for good. But now four centuries have passed. The bondage is intense and they have been used to build these cities. And now the deliverer has come. Moses has come on the scene and we've gone through several events. And we're here in chapter number 12 and God's about to make some great changes. And he always does when God comes on the scene. By the way, God can. He's God. In fact, he tells them in this chapter, we didn't read all of it, Andy led us in reading the first three verses, but he said, basically today, he said, I'm changing everything. And by the way, when when God comes in, he does change everything. He even changed their calendar. Prior to this, the first month of the year was September. But he said, not any longer. From now on, the first month will be April. And that was the month in which they were observing this. And so as near as we could tell, keeping in mind that our calendar is 365 days, and most people believe the calendars they observed were 360 days, so we've dropped a few here and there, so we're not arguing necessarily. People often ask, hey, why does Easter keep getting switched around? You know, last year it was March, and I don't know, they've never called me and asked. But nonetheless, you're here today, and this is the day. But if you want to go by this particular sequence of events here, April the 10th would have been the day that our Lord is telling them, get a lamb ready. (coughs) And he told them, he said, take that lamb. And he said, I want you to observe it from the 10th to the 14th. Most people believe it would have been a period of three and a half days, which is very interesting in the type of Christ. Because Jesus' earthly ministry was three and a half years, and nobody ever found fault with him. He not only entered into the city on the Sabbath day, what we refer to as Palm Sunday, came in and was greatly celebrated, Four days later, he was presented as the spotless Lamb of God. It's a beautiful story as you see the parallel in the picture from the Old Testament to the New Testament. This is an amazing book, by the way, but that's the Bible. And so God comes along and he tells him, he says, on the 10th day, get a lamb, a lamb for every man. And on the 14th day, prepare and that lamb will be kept up and observed for one reason. I don't want any blemish or flaw in it because it was a picture of the Lamb of God, which would take away the sin of the world. And so this was what God said to do. He also told them how to cook it with unleavened bread, and you're going to eat of it quickly because when you pack up and leave on a moment's notice, you're going to be leaving Egypt, the type of the world. It's no longer your home, your dwelling place. 
We sing a song perhaps sometimes. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Be very careful about about, uh, uh, falling to the temptation to build deep roots down here because you're not going to be here very long. Everything you and I have in this life is going to perish and be gone. The beautiful vehicles that we drive and the homes in which we live and the clothes that we wear, somebody else is going to have them someday or they're going to be destroyed, rust and fade away. But not that which you send ahead. It's one of the beautiful things about tithes and offerings. God says, that's how you send things to the other side. But he told them, he said, you're going to be leaving Egypt very quickly. and You're going to head out. When you do, make no attempt to stick around and stay behind. And so that's the story of the Exodus. But I want to look at several things about it very, very quickly and the application that we can make in our lives today. First of all, it is a prescribed requirement. You and I don't really have any choice because sin has to be spoken for. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter number 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every once in a while I think I'm a pretty good guy, and then I look in the mirror and I realize, who are you kidding? I've spent 56 years, I'll be 57, Lord willing, my next birthday, 56 years sinning. That's a boatload. I wouldn't want my sins broadcast on the screen in front of you. I'd be mortified if my thoughts were up there. You say, Pastor, how could you say that? Think of you, because I'm a man just like everybody else in here. I'm a sinner by birth and a sinner by choice, but I'm a sinner, and sin has to be answered for. It's not answered by turning over a new leaf, as some people try to do every January. We make these resolutions. I'm going to work out. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to start eating right. I'll do that Monday. I'll do that next Monday. I'm going to do this, and and sometimes it's, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try to do right in this particular. I'm going to give this up. I'm going to give that up. I've given up kale. <laughs> Just a sacrifice. Everybody's got to do something. I picked something that was dear to me. Let go. You know, as that great gospel hymn, let it go. Some of you didn't get that. Slow crowd this morning. But so we pick things that we say, I'm going to get rid of this. But you can't do that regarding your sin because you have to answer for your sin. Nobody's going to answer for mine. I can remember getting caught doing any number of things. Rare was the occasion that I was blamed for something I did not do. It was often the other way around. There's a lot of things I never got caught for. But God's kept a record of everything. I can remember getting in trouble for stealing. I remember stealing baseball cards in third grade. And I remember getting caught by the clerk. The clerk called a buddy who was a police officer and put me in the back of a police car. I was in third grade. I don't even know if that was legal. But I remember it. He said, where do you live? By that time, I thought I was going to prison for the rest of my life. (laughs) Stealing baseball cards. I didn't realize it was a capital offense, but it was big time. He said, where do you live? And I remember sobbing like a baby. I was a big bad thief in third grade. Took me to our house, and mom did the craziest thing. She paid the clerk for the cards and gave the cards back. I'm thinking, mom, could you at least keep the cards? There might have been some good ones. Those were good years. I remember some of the, some of the stars, man. I could have got a Mickey Mantle or something. But no, she gave them back and, and paid for the cards, and then I had to pay as well. There was an extraction made, I guarantee you. And mom knew how to whoop, I'm telling you. It was a whooping. It wasn't spanking. You know, some of you probably are not, you're opposed to that. It really stunned me. 
I mean, I, I could have been really something special, but I got spanked as a child. And so there, therein lies the blame. But nonetheless, I remember getting caught, and it had to be spoken for. It had to be answered for. And it is a prescribed requirement by holy God. The Bible tells us, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. I don't know when I'm going to die. I'm not looking forward to it. You say, wait, you're a pastor. You're saved. You're going to heaven. Yes, I know. But if a bus lined up out front and they said, this bus is going to heaven, who wants to get on? I'd happily escort you, but I'd wait. You say, what would you say? I'll take the next one. Well, there's not another one coming today. Good for me. You say, why? Don't you know you're going to heaven? Yes, I do. But, I, you know, I've got this huge bucket list. I often say it's a barrel list. There's things I want to do, places I want to go. I enjoy seeing our grandchildren. I enjoy giving them back to their parents. There's a lot of things. Some of you didn't get that either. Wait. Trust me, the day's coming. But, but man, there are things in life that I enjoy and I love. But I do know that I have this hope in heaven. My parents both passed away within the past year, and, and it, it has become increasingly more real to me as a result of that. I, I have more people that I know on the other side that, than I ever used to. But God said, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. And I'll give an answer for everything I've ever done in this life. It won't matter how good I've been because my goods can outweigh my bad. That's not the way it works. God says, there's a prescribed requirement, and that is a lamb for every man. So the picture from the book of Exodus to the departing Jews from Egypt to John the Baptist who speaks as he looks off in the distance and sees the the dust lifting from the footsteps of our Savior, and he cries, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Such a beautiful parallel. It was a prescribed requirement. The Secondly, we learn this about the Lamb as it produces redemption. Redemption is a wonderful word. It means to be bought back. It's something that was gone, it was lost, and it was reobtained. Every person that's ever drawn a breath in this life has offended a holy God. It doesn't matter who we are. And God said, I want to buy you back. And that that was a picture of Calvary. We spoke uh, several weeks ago (coughs) on the crosses of Calvary. And I won't belabor it, but three crosses. You had uh, two thieves on either side of the Savior in the watershed event of all human history. You have the thief who mocks and scoffs and rejects. We call this the cross of rejection. You have the thief who looks at him and says, Dost not thou fear God, seeing we are in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, but this man, perhaps with a gesture or a glance towards the Savior, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And in that moment, he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus instantly turns to him and says, Today shall thou be with me in paradise. You have the cross of rejection. You have the cross of repentance. And you have the cross of redemption. It was made possible by a gift. I love gifts. We all receive gifts and exchange gifts at different seasons and give them for events and occasions. And, but there's no greater gift than the redemption of your soul. It produces redemption. The Bible tells us, Jesus saith unto him in John 14, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Bible tells us, but your iniquities, that's me, have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. 
And that's what sin does. It creates a rift, a gulf. And for us as sinners, humanity, the gulf becomes so expansive that we can't cross it. We can never give enough. We can never be good enough. We can't, well, 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 maybe, maybe I can do this. No. The Bible tells us it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy. Mercy, He hath saved us. And so we see that it was a prescribed requirement. It produced redemption. And then thirdly, may I say this, it permits rejoicing. The best day in your life is the day you trust Christ. There's never a better better day because in that moment, instantly, the songwriter says, burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. In the moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Some people say you do that through baptism. Baptism is important, but it doesn't save you. It doesn't complete salvation. It doesn't accomplish any part of it. It is simply identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we baptize by immersion. It's a sign of what Jesus did going under and coming up as a new new Christian. But that won't help you. It's a step of obedience. Your tithes and offerings are a good thing. It's how the work of God is accomplished. But it garners no favor with a holy God because you cannot buy passports to heaven. You can't gain them through your giving. You can do the very best you can and try to live an upstanding. Sometimes people will say, boy, he was a good person, she was a good person. But the Word of God reminds us that the heart of man is desperately wicked. The Bible says that about us. The Bible even says, who can know it? Such a rhetorical charge and challenge to us that God says, who can know that? Who who could dare figure it out? That's our heart before God. But the lamb for every man, it permitted rejoicing. Picture the nation of Israel, 400 years of bondage, the constant stories of heartache and suffering and disappointment, remembering their forefathers telling uh, about the children, the male children, as they were cast into the uh, Nile River, and many of them were drowned and beaten and left for dead. And, and, And they hear the echoes and the taunts, and the Bible speaking about that entire generation who could not find comfort, would not be relieved, and now here they are being told, you're getting out of here. Time is coming. You're going to escape. You're going to a great deliverance. Okay, can you imagine the rejoicing? And for you here this morning, know this, that there is rejoicing at salvation. The Bible reminds us, David says, restoring to me the joy, joy being the root of that word rejoicing, restoring to me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. There's joy not on the earth, but there's also joy in heaven. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repented. I can't give you joy. Mankind will seek happiness and pleasures and try to prop up. And maybe if I get this, if I buy this, if I have this, I'll go out and I'll find happiness. There are things that may make you temporarily happy, but nothing can give you joy. God says, the joy that I give to you, the peace that I give to you, it's not like the world has. It's not temporary. It's not a facade. It's not something that will soon pass. It's a joy that only the world can know through Jesus Christ. Then may I say this further. 2 Peter 3, 9 reminds us, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. What a great verse this is. But is long-suffering to usward. Long-suffering is a word we typically don't use, but it means he puts up with. How much has God put up with from me? I would never attempt to offend and say, how much has God put up with from you? I'll simply use me as an example, an illustration this morning. I think of all the hurts and wounds 
all the thoughts and sin, all the acts of omission, things I should have done and I knew I should have done, but I didn't. The acts of commission, wrongs and hurts, and sometimes with my words, sometimes with my deeds, and how egregious they were to a holy God. And yet God is long-suffering to usward. Why? The Bible says further in the last part of that verse, notice it on the screen, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There never has been a soul that's ever drawn a single breath that God did not want to gain heaven. It doesn't matter. You say, what about me? I don't care who you are, what your background is, whether you're educated, illiterate, wealthy, or impoverished, a religious background or not. I know this. Hell was never created for you, but it is where you would go if you hung upon the cross of rejection figuratively speaking, and you did not accept the gift of salvation, the lamb for every man. God is long-suffering. Sometimes that causes us to neglect and to put off and to postpone. But may I also remind you, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter number 6, the Bible says, but my spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh. There'll come a time, a place in your life, and I don't know when it will be, When you'll have heard the gospel invitation, the tugging at your heart, the imploring of the Holy Spirit, you'll have heard it for the last time. I don't know when that is, but I know this. Make no mistake, God says there comes a point, there comes a time when I have stopped drawing you. You don't ever want to get to that place because you have to understand that God guarantees rejoicing through His gift. I hasten to the last two thoughts very quickly here. The Bible is very clear that that lamb for every house provides relief. Relief from several things. The Bible says, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Free from what? Free from the bondage of sin. I don't have to be a slave to it. I was talking to him. My wife was with me many years ago. We were in Southern California. We were out visiting in a neighborhood area, and we were handing out tracts in a park. Oh, my, this is 30 years ago, I think, maybe. And I remember my wife was on, on, we had separated just a little bit, and she was talking with someone, and a young man came up to me to begin to tell me about his life of sin, and he began to describe it, and I, I, I told him, I said, I don't need to hear it, and he said, but I need to tell someone, and his face was consumed with grief and anguish, and his countenance gave the indication of someone many years older than what he actually was, and by the way, sin does that. And he looked at me, and as he was talking about his sin, he held his arms up like this, and he said, I am in bondage. And I share with him that particular verse, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Sin from the, free from the bondage of sin, but then further, free from the burden of sin. Sin creates a burden that is too great for anyone to bear. In fact, the Bible tells us, Paul said, it's greater than you or our fathers could ever bear. Many people try to carry it. They give symbolisms throughout different cultures in the world, but you can't carry your sin. Christ already did. And so that leads us to the last thought this morning, and that is this. It promises a resurrection. I preached at my dad's funeral last year, and then my mom passed away this September and uh, preached her funeral in early October. And I remember looking at them and seeing them in their caskets there and being so reflective on life. You know how it is. I have on my nightstand next to our bed, I have a picture of my wife and I 
I think it was the last picture we took when my mom and dad, my dad was still, he battled dementia the last few years and didn't know me. I can recall being at his bedside helping him feed him. And he said, you sure are a kind boy. Thank you for feeding me. And then he would say, could I have a little coffee? My dad so loved coffee. And I can remember here as an adult man in my 50s, relishing every moment to give my dad a sip of hot coffee with him not even knowing who I was. Man, that was tough. But you know, as he was there in the casket and full military honors, had, having been drafted in Korea and did two tours in Vietnam, served 33 years in the military. But I, as, I, as I sat there and stood there at the head of the casket, greeting people as they passed by, paying their last respects, I, re, I was reminded... O grave, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? The Bible tells us that it's swallowed up. And then just a few months later, my mom, who seemed to be otherwise in good health, called me on a Wednesday and said, I'm heading to the hospital, not feeling very well. And then she was gone by Friday. And I remember thinking how quickly that happened. And I didn't expect that one. My father, I did, but... And then standing there just a few days later, similar scene, and so overcome with the emotions and grief, but then so thankful because that's not the end for the child of God, because it promises a resurrection. Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And then one of the verses that leads us to this morning He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. One last verse, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. It promises a resurrection. I have here in front of me some eggs with which I'll tell a simple story. These will be not unlike the eggs that our children will run through and find in a few moments, but it reminds me of a story of a little boy named Philip. Philip was uh, eight years old and attending Sunday school class with nine other children. And Philip was born with a lot of health troubles, and primarily he was a Downs child, but brought such great life. They said he had an infectious smile, and everybody loved being around Philip. And Philip uh, knew he was different. Everybody knew Philip was different, but they, they still liked to be around Philip. On a particular Sunday in the spring, uh, their Sunday school teacher arrived, and the ten children, nine and then Philip, uh, she handed each of them an egg. And she said, uh, today I want to do an experiment. I want you to go outside, and I want you to find something in the yard, in the churchyard there, that reminds you of life. And she said, then we're going to come back in, and we're all going to talk about it. We're going to see what everybody brings in. And so, man, she opened the doors to the Sunday school classroom on the outside. Man, they just ran and tore through the churchyard, and they were picking this and picking that. It was going crazy and wild. And after a few moments, she called them all back in, some of them into the classroom, and they came into the classroom and sat down, and one by one, they all huddled around the teacher The teacher began to open the eggs one by one. The first one she opened was a beautiful little flower. Little girl, she just shrieked with joy, that's mine, that's mine, as a little eight-year-old girl would. And she said, that's a flower, it's beautiful, because life is beautiful. 
Another child, his was, uh, hers was the next one to open up, and inside it was a butterfly. The teacher opened the egg, and immediately a butterfly took off. Everybody was ooing and on. The girls were. The boys, it's not cool to ooh and ah, even as an eight-year-old. The next egg she opened was a rock. She looked at the rock, and some of them started laughing. The little boy said, well, that was mine. He said, because, you know, life is different for everybody. And I knew you were going to pick flowers and butterflies and things like that. So I put a rock in there because I'm different. They came down to the very last egg, and the last egg they found was Philip's. Philip was sitting there waiting. He was so proud, so excited. His egg was going to be opened next. So the teacher opened the egg, and it was empty. And children started to laugh and said, somebody messed up. They didn't know what they were doing. They did it wrong. And Philip said, no, that's my egg. And the teacher said, Philip, what is it? It's the empty tomb. And Philip said, because without it, we have no life. Three months later, Philip became very ill. This was in April, in early July. He succumbed to an infection that most children would have been able to withstand, but because he has so many health complications, he passed away. Philip is an eight-year-old boy, and they had the memorial service in the church, and the teacher sat in one row with the other nine children. All nine of those children walked up as the receiving line made its way past where Philip lay as an eight-year-old boy. And into his casket, they each dropped an empty egg because it reminded them of the truth that this world cannot hold us. And this world is not our hope. Our hope is the empty tomb. Whatever you're facing in life, whatever grief, whatever guilt, whatever weight, whatever trouble, whatever burden, I may not have an answer for what you're facing today, But God has an answer for everything you will ever face. And that is, as Philip said that day, that empty egg, well, that's life. Because that's the empty tomb. It's the reason we're here today. Because that lamb in Egypt, thousands of years ago, was a picture of the lamb that John said, the Lamb, which taketh away the sin of the world. Do you know Him? I didn't ask you, do you know about Him? I didn't ask you if you heard the story before. I asked you simply this, do you know the Lamb of God? Without Him, you have no hope because it is what promises resurrection, not just for Him, but for you too. Shall we stand? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Some of you, perhaps this will be unique to you, but we do always try to give an opportunity. We refer to it as an invite, an invitation, where you have an opportunity to respond to the gospel message. And so with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and not in a way to embarrass or intimidate anyone, but simply as a way and a show of testimony, there's someone who would say, Boy, the Lord spoke to my heart, and I'm not sure that I have the promise of the resurrection. I'm not sure that I have accepted the Lamb of God as my Savior. 
Boy, I'd really like to do that. I won't embarrass you. I won't call you down. I promise you that. I'd simply like to take a moment to pray for you. Is there one like that who would say, you know, I realize I'm going to have to give an account for my sin, and I would sure like the Lamb of God to take mine. Would you lift your hand just very, very quickly? I will not embarrass you, and I mean that. Is there one who would say, please pray for me? I want to know that for sure, and I don't know that. God bless you. God bless you. There's two. There's three. God bless you. Is there another who would say, please pray for me? You put your hand up. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. That's five adults that have raised their hands. You can put them down very, very quickly. Is there another who say, please pray for me? I'm not sure that heaven is my home. How many of you would say, boy, I I do know that. I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, not because of my works, but because of what he has done for me, and I'm depending on him solely as my way to heaven. Would you lift your hand as a show of testimony? You can put it down very quickly. God bless you. God bless you. For those who raised their hands and said, I'm not sure that I know for sure that heaven's my home, would you look at me just very, very quickly? There were about five or six that I could tell, maybe more than that. Just look this way. God bless you. God bless you. Just, just look here. I'm going to tell you very simply how you can walk in today lost without hope and leave today rejoicing because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's very simple. You have to understand several things. Number one, that you're a sinner. And I'm not trying to indict you, but the Word of God says we all are. That includes me as a pastor of a church. We're sinners. And because of that sin, secondly, I have to realize there's a penalty for it. And then thirdly, I have to realize that somebody already paid that penalty. And that is the very Lamb of God of whom we spoke this morning. You say, what's the next step? The next step is the easiest of all. It is simply you saying, I recognize those things. I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize there's a penalty for sin. And I recognize that Jesus paid that penalty for me. All I have to do is accept the gift of salvation. The half a dozen or so of you that raised your hands, I want you to do this just very simply in your own words. I want you to pray right there where you're at. Ask the Lord to come into your heart, forgive you of your sins, and become your personal Savior. It's not a prayer that saves you, but it is you believing in your heart. The Bible says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Pray right now where you're at. In a moment, we'll have an invitation. You'll have an opportunity to respond. And if God spoke to your heart about anything, we encourage you, we invite you to come. We have people who could take the Bible and confirm that decision that you just made. But I want to encourage you, don't leave church today having that unsettled in your heart. God, forgive me for my sins and save me and become my personal Savior. Lord, would you bless now in the moment of invitation we have, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. While the piano plays, if you'd mind the Lord today, if God spoke to your heart about anything, you're certainly welcome to come. You say, I just want to thank him. I want to thank him for the the lamb that washed my sins away, the, the day that I had the assurance. If you're here and you raised your hand wanting to be saved, I do hope you'll take a moment to stop and speak with one of our men or one of our ladies. There were probably, I think, three ladies and three men who raised their hand. A couple teenagers as well. Don't be mistaken about eternity.
The song she's playing there, so true. Written more than 100 years ago. There is a fountain filled with blood. Drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners, that's me, plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. you may look this way. I think there were seven of you who raised your hands. I'm going to tell you this. I, I hope you did pray and ask Christ to save you. You say, why? Because it's the one thing in life about which you cannot be wrong. You can do a lot of things wrong. You can uh, choose to live in the wrong place, choose the wrong vocation, make a lot of bad choices financially or whatever. And those things are bad, and sometimes they have long-term uh, consequences. But the one thing in life about which you cannot be mistaken is eternity. There's no mulligan. There's no do-over. You must be born again. That's what the Word of God says. I'm so grateful you've taken time out of your day to be with us for Easter. And I realize that we've gone a little longer. We had uh, the music planned, of course, and so grateful to, to have done that. I do hope you'll consider Timberline Baptist Church. If you don't have a place that you regularly attend, we'd love to welcome you back. Tonight, of course, as part of our continuing with Easter, we do have the observance of the Lord's Supper tonight at 5 o'clock, as well as a message on the gifts that God gives us. And uh, this is the last in a series we've been covering for some time. And, uh, of course, many, many other opportunities throughout the week and throughout the year. But thank you for taking time to be with us today. If you're a guest, I hope you've taken a moment to fill out the connection card. And on your way out today, please stop by the front counter and drop that off and receive a gift from us. I'm going to ask you, please, to just be seated just for a moment. We've got a short video. I think it's about two minutes um, that we want you to see. It's our regular announcements for many of our regular church folk. And then we'll dismiss you in just a moment.